ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the World's Greatest Leaders Podcast. This is your host, JP, and I really appreciate all the support and all the love that I've been receiving from, from the fans and from the listeners that have been giving me some really good feedback. They've been uh, supporting the channel, um, so I really appreciate that, and, and it's helped me a lot to put out some better content for you guys. Before we get this thing started, if you go on our on Instagram page, at WGL Podcast, uh, there's a post that's talking about uh, a free giveaway that, that we're, do, we're doing, and it's very simple. All you got to do is go to the Instagram page at WGL Podcast, right, and you're going to see the post there, and it's a free giveaway that we're doing. All you got to do is like the post and tag three fans in the comment section, all right? <coughs> um... On June 13th at 1500 Central European Time, so 3 p.m. Central European Time, since I'm located in Germany, I will be doing a live, and I'm going to be picking a random person to to win the giveaway. I'm just going to write all the names down on the paper, throw it in, in the bucket or whatever. I'm going to do a live, and I'll pull out a number, a name, and <clears throat> the winner, I'll get a hold of the winner so they can get their prize. And before we get this thing started... This new this guest on the show is a very smart person when it comes to leadership and when it comes to military style. Um, he's been in the army for a long time. He's been in several units, has several deployments, combat experience. Not that doesn't make anything, but um, it, it's a, just a phenomenal person. Um, if you want to get to know him a bit better, go on YouTube and Instagram and look up Lopez. On leadership, yeah, at Lopez on leadership, or YouTube Lopez on leadership, and he just talks about uh, his version of the best leader. All right. Well, I'm not gonna hold you guys any bit longer. Um, I know you guys are excited to to listen to this. Um, I hope you guys get something out of it. Wish you guys a phenomenal week, an outstanding weekend, and let's get this thing started. You ain't never heard nothing like this. Let me work. Show me where the mic is. I'm on stage, black shirt, and my Tim's. You know how I do it. I ain't playing. All right, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Surviving COVID strong here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, but uh, enjoying spending the time with the family and uh, and doing great. Yeah, that Hope is doing well too. That is awesome. Um, so, uh, sir, just just uh, just tell the audience just briefly about who you are and who I'm talking to, so they can kind of get an outlook on on who I am on today's uh, episode. Sure, Colonel Eric Lopez. Uh, Born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. I yes, didn't know you were from Connecticut. CT. I'm from Bridgeport. Let's go. I didn't I know you were from... I went to school in Trumbull. I went to, uh, I went to high school in Trumbull. That's crazy. Yep. Small world. Absolutely. All right, my bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's good. Yeah, I played a lot of basketball in Bridgeport growing up. So, um, anyway, yeah, from Connecticut. Uh, I've been married uh, 23 years this summer. Uh, I got an awesome wife, Christy, two boys. My son, Ryan, is 20. My son, Nate, is uh, 18, and he'll be a senior uh, uh, here. So we'll be empty nesters soon. So I'm excited about that and, and get into that chapter. I'm a West Point grad, infantry officer, um, done all the infantry schools and all that stuff. And, um, you know, 23, 24 years in the Army now, and currently I command the Army's third recruiting brigade. So I have Army enlisted recruiting for the whole Midwest of the United States. And that is an adventure in itself, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. <clears throat> um, just uh, traditionally on the podcast, we're, I'm going to hit you with, uh, with uh, the gun it portion, which I just hit you with a whole bunch of question, questions. Just think about it as a warm-up and kind of see if you're ready for the, for the um, next portion of the, past, of, the, of the interview. All right? Got it. Um, we're soft at this. Uh, which one was harder, ranger school or sapper school? 
Ranger School was harder. Ranger School was definitely harder. Um, Sapper School was better. I learned more. I grew more. It was a great pre-Ranger, but that 63 days, man, I was broke off after Ranger School. Which one did you do first? I did Sapper School first as a cadet, and then Ranger School as a second lieutenant. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I everybody talks about how people say that Sapper School is harder than Ranger School, but I don't know. I mean, I, I never been to none of them, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit more mentally challenging in Sapper School because you got to do some of the engineer stuff. But just the length of, you know, I was totally smoked by the end of Ranger School. And I went straight through. I can't even imagine recycling. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the one field snack that you cannot forget to bring to the field? Oh, man. Crackers and cheese. I'm a cheese guy, man. You can't. I'm talking MRE. I, I'm a straight <laughs> MRE guy. I don't, I don't bring, I don't even bring, like, Hoagie baits in the field, man. I love just straight MREs, and if I can get that cheese and crackers. I actually ate cheese and crackers like two days ago. I found one in a recruiting station. <laughs> That's crazy. And I ate it in the car. I warmed it up on like the on the heater. It was amazing. I love it. Okay. So what is the what is your favorite MRE? Ooh. Um I'd have to go with the uh the old hot dog, man. The old hot dog, the old five fingers hot, of death. Hot dog? Love the, Loved it. Yeah, I don't even know if they have that now. I mean, uh, I they, they definitely don't. No, it's, it's well, it's an old school one. But, uh, yeah, the old hot dog, you could put the cheese on it, put it between two things of crackers. We used to call it Five Fingers of Death. But that was my favorite. All right. Well, um, what is your, where's your favorite place in the world? Favorite place in the world would have to be wherever my family is. I know that's a cheesy answer, but um, – Lopez family, we, we roll, we roll. Wherever we live, we just hit, we just go out. We've, we we learn the area. So when we were in uh, Fort Lewis, man, we went all over the Northwest. We're here in Kentucky now. We go all over the Midwest traveling. Um, so wherever my family is, man, we get out, we see the sights, and we do we do whatever's big in that area. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve? I actually hate the word pet peeve. <laughs> it's just an annoying <laughs> word i don't like it and my second is cliches i hate cliches i hate when people use cliches i always i always dog people for what i call firing the cliche machine gun man they do it a lot in recruiting um we do it in the line too but yeah those are probably some of my pet peeves uh who is your favorite superhero or villain depending if you're a superhero or villain guy man so i'm not a Marvel guy. I'm not a DC guy. My kids get mad at me. I fall asleep in Avengers. Whoa. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I, I know. I, it's it's bad. It's like un-American. But I'd have to say Wolverine. Wolverine, growing up, I loved Wolverine. I loved the old school Wolverine comics. Logan was good. Probably my favorite uh, Marvel movie. But I'm not a huge superhero guy. Uh, what is your favorite skill set that you own? Public speaking, public speaking. I like to get up. I like to communicate. Um, I like to, to get with a crowd, take questions. Uh, I'm not scared to get out and, um, and and say what I think and, and, and hear what other people think. So I really like public speaking. It's, it's something I'm good at. And, um, you know, I like taking the message of the Army to the American public. I love doing it. Uh, what regulation would you add or change? I hope it's hands in pockets. Uh, oh, okay. You're talking specific? Ooh. Yeah, hands in pockets, man. I mean, uh, I spent a lot of time in Fort Drum, a lot of time in cold climates. If your hands are cold, like, you got the warmers right there. Um, man, yeah, that's a good one, hands in pockets. Um, I would definitely keep the mustache one. I like the mustache one. I think that keeps people from having, like, big... Pancho Villa mustaches. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit here with the COVID crisis, but um, I don't know, man. I'm a oh, I'm like oh six. Like I don't get called on that many uh, regulations, <laughs> like like the young guys do, you know. So it's not in the front of my in the front of my mind. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't have a great answer for that one. Oh, that sucks. Uh, but <laughs> it's whatever. Um, what is the one thing that you believe to be a subject matter expert in? 
Oof. This is a dangerous. A da- it's dangerous to say this, but I'll go with marriage. My wife and I spend a lot of time uh, mentoring young married couples. We've taught marriage Sunday school classes. Um, we try to learn and improve our marriage. We, we don't have a perfect marriage, but we're always trying to learn and get better. So marriage is something that that um, I'm passionate about, you know, with my own marriage and also helping people with their marriage. I've, I've talked to a lot of young soldiers, officers, and NCOs to try to help them uh, with their marriage. So I'd say marriage is my, my subject matter expertise. Um, let's see, let's see. If all jobs paid the same, what would you be doing? I mean, easy answer. I would be shooting threes and uh, playing in the in the association. You know, living the dream that I had when I was a youngster, <laughs> playing <laughs> basketball. If, if you could pick a team to play for, who would you be playing for then? Uh, probably the Knicks. You know, bring the Knicks. bring the. Uh, Bring the uh, bring the heat back to the garden, man. Bring bring them back onto the onto the top. Um, so I'm really enjoying the the Michael Jordan Last Dance right now. That is, that it's, is a, it's like the, it's the best thing going on TV. It it's makes a great me show. think. Yeah, dream back to the days when I used to have game, but not anymore. Um, what was the last thing that you did in public and was glad nobody was watching? I'm a terrible driver, man. Terrible driver. <laughs> of course, so, you're from Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a good driver. I cut people off. I don't mean to. I roll. You know, I'm just not a good driver. So I'm glad that like I have the anonymity of being in the car. If you've been on Instagram and you've seen my my car, I drive White Lightning 1998 Toyota Corolla, crumpled up front bumper. Um, that's what I roll in. So 06 driving the 98 Corolla. So nobody will ever think it's me in there. So I like the anonymity of being <laughs> in there, but I'm a terrible driver. Um, if you could call yourself five years in the future, what would you ask? How are your investments doing? That's a great question. A great How's question. that cash? How's that cash, man? Were you smart with your money now for to pay off five years ago or, or five years from now? That's what I would ask. Um, What is your favorite alcoholic beverage? Man, um, I'm a martini, dirty martini guy. Um, I know it's not like super manly and everything, but I like the brine. I like the salt. Uh, I'm actually not drinking right now. I haven't been drinking at all during COVID. I've been taking it easy. But um, yeah, if I'm out like big night with the wife, you know, dirty martini. Uh, the next two are going to kind of like... They kind of like sync with each other. What is your greatest failure in life? Greatest failure? Um, man, that's a... I'll, I'll give you my greatest regret. I'll give you one of my greatest regrets. Yeah, that works. Was not, I didn't... I majored in the wrong thing when I was at West Point. Um... I majored in the wrong thing. I should have majored in language. I should have majored in Spanish, Arabic. If I could go back in time, I would have majored in language instead of majoring in history. I just majored in history because it was easy for me. I was just trying to graduate. I wasn't a a great cadet, and I was just trying to make my life as easy as possible because I had enough other problems trying to survive at West Point. But I wish I would have majored in in a language, um, and uh, especially Spanish and Arabic. my greatest failures, you know, I mean, I've, I made decisions in combat that I wish I could have back, um, you know, putting guys in harm's way. And, uh, you know, you got to make the best decision you can at the time. But if I could go back in time, I'd probably probably change some of my decisions as a, as a combat commander. Okay, so uh, what was your greatest success in life? I think my family has been my my greatest success. Just um, having a having a great marriage, uh, raising two boys that uh, that um, you know understand what it means to love God, understand what it means to um, to love others, to to be a good person, to um, to work hard, um, and, and I'm really 
really proud of that. Um, probably number two would be my battalion command in Afghanistan. And, and very proud of the fact that I was able to take all my other deployments and learn and get better and better and better and take all those lessons learned and put them into the train up of our, of my battalion, our deployment to Afghanistan. The fact that, that we did so well over there, brought everybody home. Um, I just get, <clears throat> I get choked up even just thinking about it, but that's definitely one of the greatest achievements and one of the things I'm most proud of. Okay. And now to finish off the gun it portion of the episode, what is the best piece of advice that you can give to someone? I just did a, a YouTube video, very simple guidance, and it's for, it's for everybody. Whether you're in the Army, whether you're um, a civilian, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in sales, whether you work at Walmart, whatever. And it just has three, three sub three subparts. First one is do what your boss says. The second one is think like your boss. And third is think for your boss. There is amazingly few amount of people out there who just start off by doing what your boss says. Then think like your boss. That's like understanding commander's intent. And then you get to the point you can think for your boss. And then you're using creativity. You're using innovation. All those things to help your boss think and, and get forward uh, and, and move an or any organization forward. So that's what I go with. That's my uh, biggest piece of advice. Okay. And, I mean, that, that finished off the gun it. For those that don't know, it used to be the Mad Minute, and it's not anymore because, one, it would never last a minute. And actually, yeah, that's it. It was never last a minute, so I had to change the name. Um, but before we start off the before I st- we start off the interview, can you just uh, just – Go a little bit more in depth on of on of uh, places that you've been in the army deployments units um, schools that you you got achievements in the army whatever whatever the thing is that way the audience can have a little bit more of understanding on, on uh, who Colonel Lopez is. Yeah, so I graduated West Point in 1996. Uh, went to Air went to Infantry Basic. Went to Airborne School. I was the honor grad of uh, Ranger School 3-97, uh, and then I started out to 101st. Uh, then I went to 1st Ranger Battalion in uh, Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah. Um, then I went to Fort Drum, New York. and It was number eight on my priority list. My wife cried when I told her we were going there. But we went to Fort Drum uh, right around the time when uh, September 11th happened. 9-11 happened, and I deployed immediately with uh, 10th Mountain Division staff. Um, came back, took a rifle company, Charlie Company, 187 Infantry, went back to Afghanistan incredible deployment incredible team um and, and just great bunch of men that i got to deploy with uh left there went back to 75th ranger regiment um was a staff officer there on regimental headquarters then i went and i was the aide uh for the hrc commander before i went to uh, ile went to school for a year came out of school went out to fort lewis to the striker brigade third striker brigade uh, and I was a battalion three and brigade three battalion operations officer, brigade operations officer, um, deployed twice to Iraq during, during that time. Um, then I went back uh, to Fort Knox and took command of second battalion, second infantry div- division. Uh, that was from, um, I'm sorry, second battalion, second infantry regiment, third infantry division, the big red one. They had a separate brigade at Fort Knox, and that's where I did my uh, battalion command. After that, I went to Fort Eustis. I was on TRADOC staff. I thought I was going to get out of the Army, thought I was going to retire, but uh, I ended up going back to be the deputy commander of 2nd Brigade, 101st, and then uh, got selected for brigade command and came out to Fort Knox, and uh, now I command the uh, the recruiting brigade. So seven deployments total. Uh, yeah, five I, I was... I was... Two to Iraq. I started losing losing count of how many deployments you, you had. Yeah, it, a lot of deployments, but just some incredible, some incredible teams, some incredible organizations, and uh, yeah. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. But now I have an even harder mission. I am an army recruiter, and I absolutely love the mission. Uh, I love the job. You are on every single day. We got to put my brigade has to put sixty six people in the army every single day to make mission and it has been a humbling experience. I've learned, I've grown, uh, I've been stretched 
and it's, it's an absolute challenge, but I absolutely love recruiting. Uh, did you, so, um, I, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot, do you think it's a lot harder now for, to recruit people into the army to, from, since, um, in comparison back in the day when, like, for example, when you joined or from when 9-11 happened? Yeah, I think every time there's different challenges and there's different opportunities. Uh, definitely after 9-11, you know, a lot of people uh, wanted to come in. You know, right now we deal with the fact that a lot of people aren't qualified. Only one in four young Americans or, or Americans, 17 to, to 30, uh, 34, even qualify to get in the Army. So it's it's tough, but there's also a lot of opportunities, you know, a, lot, a ton of innovation with social media, esports, all these ways we're figuring out to get in touch with the young generation. So, you know, every time has its challenges. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of recruiters, you, you, it's kind of like an inside joke in the Army. A lot of recruiters have like a, a bad rep on like, oh, my recruiter told me this, or my recruiter told me that, or my recruiter's a liar. How, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? I think a lot of soldiers that enlist have uh, revisionist history, right? And so they get in, they get to basic training, or they get to their unit, and they kind of like to change the story of how that discussion went with that recruiter. Um, I'll tell you, it is very hard to get someone in the Army. All the wickets they have to go through to get in the Army, it's very hard, and there's not a lot of room for that kind of like funny business. Um, we investigate that stuff so closely so closely and it is monitored and it is like squashed so of course you know that's the reputation that's sort of a historic thing about recruiters but i tell you if you talk to a, a recruiter today and especially with all the information on the internet you know you, you're you're gonna get a you're gonna get a straight answer and uh, and they're gonna take care of you that's that's 99 percent of the experiences out there i would say mm-hmm. and back to when you said that you were in a did you did you uh, do some sort of selection to go to regiment or you just came down on orders and stuff like that? No, as an officer, you have to apply. So as an officer, you, you do the job in the regular army, the operational army. Like for me, I was a, a platoon leader in the 101st. And then you have to apply. Uh, and, and once you're selected, then you go to uh, RASP, Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. So it's a, it's a packet process is one hurdle. Then you go to RASP. You have to get through that, and once you get through that and you're selected, then you, you go and you show up at, at the Ranger at the Ranger Regiment. But then as soon as you do that job, like say you do that job as a lieutenant, then you go back to the regular Army again to be a company commander. And you can apply to come back again, and it sort of goes back and forth like that. Okay, and uh, can you tell a little bit how, how was your experience on RASM and stuff like that? or, or uh... Yeah, I mean, incredible experience, um, incredible journey. You know, they do a, um, a psyche valve. It was the first time I've ever had a, ever had a psyche valve done. And they really get, you know, start peeling the onion back. And you learn a lot about yourself. That's for sure. And then my time in 1st Ranger Battalion, uh, General Votel was my battalion commander. Just an incredible group of leaders from the, from the, the youngest private to up to General Votel as a battalion commander. Just an incredible organization. And that is the organization that is my formative learning experience in the army that when I think in the back of my head, I hear my NCOs from first ranger battalion talking in my ear when I go to make decisions, even today. So just an incredible organization. And it's really part to be a, proud to be a part of it. Hmm. Um, so what kind of, what, how long you been in recruiting for? I'm coming up on two years. And, uh, is there like a, a certain time you have to do before you move on next or how does that work? Yeah. For, for the officer, you're usually coming into to command. So usually your commands are, are two years. Um, so I'm coming up this summer. I'll change out. And, uh, and my two years will, um, as a commander will be done. Well, what are you going to be doing next? Or, or you don't want to share? Rather yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to be the chief of staff for recruiting command. So I'm going to do another, another year in recruiting, uh, like I said, I love the mission. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of the team in USAREC, and I'm going to do another year in recruiting as the chief of staff for all of USAREC for the whole U.S. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a big deal right there. Um, <clears throat> all right, we're going to get a little bit more in-depth into the interview, um, but 
how, how important is leadership and mentorship to, to you and how do you try to apply it every day or try to see it in, in your subordinates and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, both of those things are absolutely vital to what we do uh, in the Army. I think when you talk about leadership, it, there's always an art and a science to leadership. Um, the art is the command side. That's the relationships, the personalities, the motivation, all that stuff you can't really touch. And the science is the details, the, the data, the all, you know, all that. So it doesn't matter if you're an infantryman, a calf scout, a recruiter, a drill sergeant. There's always those two sides, the art and the science. But you got to put them together to empower a team to accomplish a goal. That's really what leadership means to me. Take the art and the science of empowering a team to work together to accomplish a goal. Um, that, that's kind of my definition of, of leadership. Mentorship, man, is absolutely critical. And I always tell people, you got to have a mentor and you got to be a mentor. Um, you're not going to make it in any organization, whether it's in the civilian world, whether it's in the Army, the Navy, doesn't matter. you got to have a mentor to provide that wisdom and guidance to, to you as a person with less experience, and then you should turn around and do it to somebody else. So as somebody's pulling you up, you should be reaching down and pulling the next generation up. And that's part of the Army that I love. You know, someday when I retire, I will miss being a mentor. And um, people that have worked for me know they can get in touch with me 24-7, and I will – write a letter of recommendation. I'll talk to them about their next assignment. Um, I probably write two to three letters of recommendation a, a month for people that have worked for me. Mm -hmm. And it could be for a master's degree. It could be for something on the civilian world because they're already out. It could be for a job in the army. Um, but that's something I love. I'm passionate about is being a mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, leadership and mentorship is huge in the army, but one thing that's it's probably a, a, one of my favorite subjects subjects to talk about is toxic leadership, right? Yeah. That is also very big in the army, and you see it every day. Um, wh who? What is your version of a toxic leader? Because there's a whole bunch of different. Because the army has its own definition, everybody has their own uh, kind of like perspective on toxic leadership. Wh who? What is a toxic leader for you? A toxic leader to me is somebody that puts themselves before the team. Very simple definition. They put themselves before the team. In the Army, as leaders, we are trained and we are built to put the team before ourselves. Always. The needs of the team before ourselves. A toxic leader flips that on its head and puts themselves before the team. And the Army, the leadership, our whole model just gets turned on its head. It, it, we can't operate like that with leaders like that that are toxic. Okay. Um yeah, uh, as a as a leader, especially in a, in a recruiting organization, do you believe that uh, first impression on leaders matter? Like first impressions on NCOs and, and officers and or even junior enlisted soldiers. Do you do you believe that first impression? Absolutely, matters? man. Absolutely. Like it was first impressions are are everything. Um, you know, and it goes back to that that kind of leadership lesson I said. Right, do what your boss says is the number one thing so take it like this like you walk into a room and, and you're talking to a private and the private doesn't stand up they're out in your mind they're th this guy's a chump this is a turd right here they're not doing the basic things that they're no that they know what they're supposed to do that's right you know and it comes down to trust right it comes down to mission command is based on trust and if somebody makes a first impression that makes you not want to trust them they're already miles, miles apart from you. So the lesson learned for us is anytime you're getting ready to make a first impression, you got to be ready. You got to prepare. You got to think about how's this going to go. I'm going to meet my new boss. I'm going to meet my new squad leader. I'm going to meet my new team leader. You know, I want to make sure I got a good uniform on. I want to make sure, you know, I shaved. I want to make sure I follow customs and courtesies. Those are just the, the basics, man. But, um, yeah, first impressions are, are huge. And the longer you've been in, the more tuned your your um, your eye is for looking at first impressions, right? You know, overweight. Like, you can look at somebody and be like, that dude's overweight, man. Like, come on. I can't trust that person. They can't even meet the body fat standards of the Army. 
So, yeah, first impressions are, are huge, and, and you always want to make a great first impression. Yeah. Oh, that, that overweight thing triggers me, man. It's, 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 it pisses me off every time I see a soldier that doesn't look like a soldier, and it's, it's just a – I'm not going to get into it, but it's, it's annoying. From a, from a leader perspective, what do you, what do you think is important to create like a solid, strong and a solid and yeah. a strong base in a unit? I think it's a trust. It's all about trust, man. If everybody trusts each other, you're going to have a tight unit. And I believe that trust comes from a relationship. It doesn't matter about the rank. You're still going to have a relationship with, with everybody. You know, if I'm a company commander and I don't have a relationship with with every private and I don't know every private's name, married, how many kids they have, where they're from, what's their things, their, what's their strengths and weaknesses, I'm probably not, I probably don't have the trust of that organization. So I think that building a relationship with people and, and building an organization, an organization that values that, uh, if you have that, you're going to have, you're going to build trust through that that relationship that you build with everybody. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's phenomenal whenever you have that, let's say, let's say my squadron commander, if my squadron commander never comes out to, to say it, to, to talk to the formation, obviously with before this coronavirus stuff, but it, it's important to just, just put your face out there and just, and just show everybody that you care about them. It's, it's important. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple and it takes, and doesn't take a lot of time and, or a lot of, uh, it's not hard to do, and I think no. people don't value that. No, I mean the other thing you got to, and this is why I'm so big on social media, is you can do that these days through social media, right? I have you know 2,000 recruiters spread across 16 states. I will never get to see all of them, but if I'm connected with them on Facebook and Instagram, and, and they're writing me, I'm putting up funny memes, I'm doing dance videos, I'm doing you know. Uh, I'm putting out guidance on social media. We're connected and I can actually build trust with them and not even ever meet them. That's the power of social media. And I think we got to do a, a better job of that in the army um, to, to build that trust across our formations. The social media, I mean, we're, we're, I think we're pretty uh, advanced in time and, but I think the army is still kind of like still transitioning to, to, to that to that social media thing, transitioning to, to uh, adapt to the, the new soldiers coming in and stuff like that. But I think we'll get there. But I think by the time we get there, it's going to be on the <laughs> new be thing. something else new. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, all right, so without digging too deep into FM6-22, uh, what are the attributes that you think that a good leader should have? I know the... I know everybody knows the one that the army says that leaders should have, but what are some things that for yeah. you are important for them, for the leadership? Yeah. So you took my thunder away, man. 622. I love it. I love it. Right. It tells so clear. You got to have character. You got to have presence. You got to have intellect. You got to lead develops and you got to get results. It's, it's so good. You know, the one I would add to that is initiative, initiative, what I am looking for in my junior leaders is people who are going to do things without being asked, right? And it goes back to what I said before about think for your boss, right? So you know the commander's intent. Now I'm going to start to do things inside the commander's intent, but I'm not doing what my boss wants me to do. I'm doing what I think is the best thing to do inside the commander's intent, inside my boss's intent. So I am looking, man, I, when I get a new lieutenant, I want lieutenants that take initiative. They don't just follow orders. Following orders is the baseline. I want people who are, are coming to me with ideas. Hey, sir, we should try this. We should do this. Hey, I laid out this plan, you know, and I've already done all the resourcing. And I'm like, that's the guy I want on my team. So I'd go with initiative as my number one leader attribute. Um, I mean, I, I think it's – I 100% agree with you. But sometimes that new lieutenant is still kind of like he's brand new. He doesn't know. He doesn't know uh, better what to do, right? And but I do know. But I do see a lot of times with guys that know what to do. Guys that have been doing this for for not a long time, but they doing it for a while and they know new stuff that they can do to kind of like better the unit or things that they can that they just the little stuff. But they never come up and say nothing because I don't know. They just yeah. Uh, people, people are scared to talk. 
these days. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And, you know, if a lieutenant comes to me with an idea and has not ran it through his platoon sergeant and squad leaders, I'm going to know in about three seconds. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to blast them. Like, dude, go away. Go go run it through the, run it through the, uh, you know, the gonculator, run it through the, the guys that really put some some reality in this idea, then resource it, then come back. Uh, but, you, you know, we got to collaborate. We, we got to get good ideas from privates, from specialists, from sergeants, from team leaders, from all that. And again, that's what it goes back to. I said, having a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with your folks where they can share those ideas and then you're going to take them and then think about them and then, and then bring something to the commander that has some, some merit, some meat on it. That's what we want, man. We want, we want people that are thinking like that, not just coming up with dumb ideas by themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, me as, a, as just a sergeant, I, I come up with a whole bunch of, 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 of crazy shit that I think in my head that we should do. But then I, I, I actually tell it to my, to my, uh, to my peers and to my squadies and stuff. And, and they, and they, sh- and they kind of show me that it's just, they kind of like refine it and just find there a way there's something wrong with it. But I mean, that's good. Uh, yeah. Do you think your leadership approach changed from com- comparing to previous units and previous commanders that you had to, to today? It's definitely developed. And I think the reason why is the more years you have in the army, the less you realize you, you really know. I think when you're a lieutenant, a captain, you think you know, you know everything, right? It's like a teenager. 100%. Like my teenagers, they think they know everything. They don't know anything. But as you get older, you're like, you realize you don't know. Uh, you don't know what to do. And you have to have a system in place through mission analysis, through MDMP, to, to understand the environment, define the problem, and then make a decision. So I, I think my approach has, has definitely developed over time, um, probably because I've been humbled by making mistakes. And, and now I, I want to get that input from the larger group to help me make a decision. And, and that's, the way, that's the way I operate. Do you, do you, what is one thing that kind of like most, develop, most helped you develop your leadership style? A big thing was learning the Army design methodology. And that's a technique, like you said, it's like a, an FM term, you know, like a book term. And there's like, you know, the Army makes it super hard with like 16 steps and 15 sub-steps and all that. It's real simple. Understand the environment, define the problem, then come up with a solution. Most of the times we just, we think we know what to do. We make that decision and then we find out it was wrong. But we always got to understand the environment. What's higher saying? What's lower saying? What's my peers saying? What's um, the culture telling me? What am I seeing from my intelligence? All those things, right? Understand the environment and then scope the problem. What problem are we really trying to solve here? And then make a decision, make a solution. So I think learning that, I, I learned that design methodology pretty much in battalion command right before battalion command so we've already been in the army 17 years and then now that's something that's a, the kind of the way i think uh and that's morphed into the way i make decisions and and, and big into the way i'm a leader hmm. do, do you uh are you uh i'm trying to word this in a certain way without with making sense do you do you think that as a leader it's okay to fail Yes. Yes. And we want to, we want to build our training so that, so that we're pushed so hard that we fail. That's what we do at the, at the JRTC and NTC, right? Um, I guess the point that everybody just did. <laughs> yeah. But man, but, but those lessons are burned in your mind because you, because you failed. Um, and it is very hard to do that. It is very hard to to push your subordinates so hard that they that they actually make mistakes and fail. But that's that's where we learn. That's where we learn the most. And it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's okay to do that. It's okay to fail in training. It's okay to to. Okay, I'm not. It's okay to make the wrong decision, but obviously don't make 
don't make a stupid decision, but it's okay to make the wrong one. And I think it's important to learn how to fail when it comes to training because, like, I talked to one of my guests before, it's, it's a, you, you don't want to fail in combat. You want to make those mistakes now. You want to make those yeah. mistakes at JR, JMRC, at JRTC, at NTC, and stuff like that. So that when you get to actual deployment in combat, you don't want to make the wrong call and just get someone hurt or get someone killed. For God forbid, but... Absolutely. Um, and speaking of combat, do you, do you think that uh, your exposure to combat as a, as a young uh, officer um, and dealing with problems at those at that time prepared you to make decisions that you were... the as Prepare you to make decisions as a leader that you are today. Yeah, and, and that's because I learned about this targeting mindset, right? And you see a lot of people in, in combat are fall into either two, two categories. One, they do things very deliberately, or two, they just react. And I'm telling you right now, you can be successful in our army, in combat, in training, by just reacting, react, react. The enemy does this, you react, you, you know, training, you just sort of fly by the seat of your pants and you react. But the top 10% is deliberate. They are constantly identifying what the problem is going to be, identifying the target and come up with a deliberate plan to execute that target, exploit it, get the intel, learn, and then go again and again. And, and, and when I went to uh, Ranger Regiment, I learned that targeting mindset, that targeting methodology that they do so well. And, uh, and that really helped me the whole rest of my career. So that see, seeing how they, they did that, that targeting mindset, that targeting methodology being deliberate. And I, I learned that in the 75th and really used it the rest of my career. Uh, what is what is a good advice that you would give to new NCOs, new lieutenants, or just uh, just let yeah, that young uh, soldier, that young soldier that's showing a lot of leadership potential? What is some advice that you would give to those kind of people so they, they can be better leaders? I think a big part is having a winning mindset. And that starts with your attitude. No matter what the situation is, no matter how dumb battalion is, no matter how bad the situation is on the patrol, no matter where you're at, what's going on, you can control your own attitude, your own thoughts. And that's part of a, a winning mindset. The other part of a winning mindset is tied very closely with that deliberate, that targeting methodology. A winning mindset always identifies what does winning look like? Where am I? What's between me and winning? What obstacles are between me and winning? And then how am I going to overcome those obstacles? And if I can't overcome those, all of them, I got to be able to call for fire. I got to be able to ask for help. A lot of people can't, you say, what do you need? And they say, oh, we don't need anything. Well, you're not, you're not winning. It, you got to be very deliberate to think here's as far as I can get. And I can't get that last 10%. And I need to ask my hire for help in the form of, Whatever could be advertising dollars, could be money, could be training areas, could be um, different assets if you're in kind of a, a combat environment. But that winning mindset is is one of the biggest things I would focus on for for young leaders. What are, what are some what are some uh, things that catch your attention when it comes to young leaders? Like what are some attributes that they have that kind of, not going back to the same attribute you said, but what's something that you like? Oh, this guy. Or this girl has a lot of potential yeah. in being a great leader in this organization. Couple things. Number one, they listen. It it starts with listening. You got to listen to what your boss is telling you, right? And 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 you'll see people. You know why they're listening? Not because they want to kiss their bosses, but it's they're listening because they want to get better. And people will distinguish themselves so fast by listening. They're listening to everybody. They're filtering that information and then they're deciding, okay, I'm going to, that's something, man. That's a great point. That, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that. That, man, I'm going to put that on the back burner. But man, what, what that person said, I heard the Sergeant Major say this, that was huge. I'm going to write it down in my book. I'm going to reflect on it. I'm going to have it. So I think listening is huge. I think physical fitness is huge. I mean, that is always going to be the number one discriminator. The, like you, you asked about first impressions. That's your first impression. Um, 
it's not the be all end all, but physical fitness is gonna dis- is gonna distinguish you your whole career. It doesn't matter if you're an E1 private or an E9. Um, you've got to be. We are in a fitness business. You, we want to be fitter, fitter than the enemy, so we can win, so we can kill the enemy, accomplish our mission. Um, and fitness is huge. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that subject. I can talk about it all day. I I, do, I graduated BLC not too long ago, and I and I had a I had a couple a couple people that one honor grad that won the commandant's list like the top twenty percent of the class. But when we get when we did the the the, the academy run at the end, at like they fell out, and I'm like, how, how are you wow. the top twenty percent of the class? But you, you can't you, you you fell out of the run like. And then people say, oh, just because I can't run doesn't mean I'm a bad leader. But yes, it doesn't mean that. But I, I say this all the time. You're not a great leader just because you have a 300 PT score. But a good leader probably will have a 300 PT score. That, no, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, and some people get that confused. And some people get promoted just on PT. And they're, they're meatheads. But... PT is definitely a starting point that you got to have to be in the conversation. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? What was the, what do you, okay. This is a hard question because a lot of people can't really answer when I ask them, but what is, if not the hardest, a very hard decision that you made as a leader through your, throughout through your, your time in the army? Yeah. So this, this, it is going to be very hard when it comes time for me to make that decision to retire. Uh, I love this organization. You know, if you count West Point, 28 years I've been doing this, and I absolutely love it. Um, And I talked about earlier how I love, the biggest part that I love the most is being a mentor and watching those people that have worked for me in the past, officers and NCOs, grow and develop. And not just in the Army, not just promotion, but grow and develop as... Christians grow and develop as husbands and wives grow and develop as parents grow and develop as people in their community and that's the part about the army I'm going to miss the most Um, and that's why that decision to retire which is out there for all of us right either get out or retire that's going to be the hardest decision I'm I'm going to have to make yeah uh, it's tough man I mean you it's probably hard also, because you you just been doing it for a long time, you used to you used to everything around you, but I guess uh, you've been in the army for a while, and I'm not I'm not trying to call you old or nothing like that, but you've been in the army in like you've been in the army post and pre 9 11. Yeah, it's complete. It's a completely different army from when you first joined, right? What What do you think? What are some things that the army kept back in from that? Say so they still use today that were used back when you first joined, like when it comes to doctrine, training, uh, leadership development, and stuff like that? I think I think one of the things that's made it all the way through is, is discipline. You, We have got to be disciplined. Um, and that was in the Army before, that was in the Army now. And it needs to stay in there. Disciplined with everything disciplined with fitness disciplined with accountability disciplined with maintenance disciplined with training i think discipline is something that has stayed all the way through the thing that i love the biggest change that i love from from before 9-11 to after is mission command is the embrace the army embrace this concept that says Mission command is all about, as a leader, I provide clear guidance and I empower my subordinates to take the initiative and make their own decisions. That is so uncommon in the civilian world today, and it was uncommon in the Army prior to 9-11. And I think mission command is an amazing concept, and I think it's a huge positive change that came out of uh, post 9-11 and the, the GWAT and all those things. But but with that mission command, you have to make, you can't have it without discipline. It's not just a free-for-all. You got to have discipline, but empower your, your leaders to make decisions at their level to win. Absolutely. And when you say that, you mean kind of like, 
Like you as a brigade commander, you're not gonna have. You're not gonna do. What you're not gonna. You're not gonna do everything yourself. You're kind of like gonna like right. pass down the, the responsibility to the command, the troop commanders, company commanders, just brigade commanders, and stuff like that. It is important. Right. It is so, important. You said it right. Pass it down, right? So what what we got to do at Mission Command is we got to take our authority and push our authority to make decisions down to the lowest level. And we got to take the risk and we take the risk. What we normally do in the Army is we give our subordinates all the risk and we take the authority to make decisions. That's the opposite of Mission Command. We got to give them authority. That's what I tell my people. You are empowered to make decisions to win at your level. If it's legal, moral, and ethical, I got your back. Brigade commander, I will get you. If you make a mistake because you made a decision at your level, as long as you didn't do something that was illegal, immoral, or unethical, I will back you up 100% of the time. That is what empowerment, because a lot of times we say we're empowered, we're empowering our leaders, but we're not really giving them the authority to make decisions. And when they mess up, we smash them. That's that's not mission command. We got to push authority down, and then we got to take the risk and carry the risk on our rucksacks at the bata- company, battalion, and brigade level. Yeah, I, I hate. I mean, I would. I haven't experienced it yet, but I seen it experienced. Well, hasn't I haven't experienced me as a as a as a team leader, but I have experienced seeing it happen when I was like a when I was a, a, a private and stuff like that, where. The platoon sergeant, the platoon leader, the chief, even the, the 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 troop commander and first sergeant, they will they won't trust their their subordinate leaders to do things, and they're kind of like you're kind of like micromanaging and a very micromanaging. It's not it's it's not extremely toxic, but it's still toxic. It's it's not good for the organization. It's not good for the development of the of the of the soldiers, or it's not good for anything. To be honest with you, the only thing is good is to make sure that you do it the way you wanted it done, but if someone else did it in a good way and it got it right. done, what well, doesn't really matter. But you you can you can be successful as a micromanager, but you can't be successful at night when it's raining, when you're doing something for the first time. If you've been a micromanager the whole time up, when you get to that situation, you will fail. That's why it's so important not to be a micromanager and to operate under mission command where you're empowering people to make decisions at their level to win. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so as a young officer still in, in, still in the process of learning and finding yourself, finding your leadership style, having mentors and looking up to people and trying to find someone that, that kind of like can guide you and someone that you can look, someone that you can rely on to, to help mold your, your leadership style. Who is someone that had a big influence um, in you, and it still sticks? That person still sticks to you to this day, like. Yeah, General Votel um, was a battalion commander of of one seven five, and just his de- demeanor you just you did not want to let him down. Um, the 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 cast of leaders that he brought in around him, his character. He was just a guy you wanted to be like, and he, and he built an incredible organization. Um, so he he had an incredible influence on me. Then then there was, you know, there was a. I always tried to take a little bit of something from everybody I worked for. Um, you know, General Farader had taught me this idea of visualize to prevent problems. You're always trying to see the future identify the problems and come up with solutions before the problems even happen. And I've lived my entire career trying to do that. Uh, my, one of my battalion commanders when I was in S3, Chuck, Chuck Hodges, he taught me um, there is no box to think inside of. So people always say, oh, it's cliche, right? Think outside the box. Think outside the box. He said, there's no box, man. Get rid of the box. Think totally unconstrained. So – a lot of leaders had had influence on me, but I think the, the thing that I did was try to take something from everybody and add it to my kit bag. That's that listening piece. Always trying to listen and learn and develop and grow. And I could go on and on on all the different things that I've taken from all my leaders throughout the years that have contributed to who I am today. Okay. Uh, do you still have a relationship with that with that with General? Yeah, I do. I do. And and um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's our job to reach out to a mentor. It's not the mentor's job to reach out to us. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't have a mentor. I don't have a mentor. Well, have you asked anybody to be a mentor? I don't know any officer in the Army or any senior NCO or any NCO that is not willing if you ask them, hey, can you be my mentor? And this is what I always tell people. You should contact your mentor twice a year, once at Christmas, once in the summer. You just write them an email, write them a card. Hey, here's here's the family. You know, we had a new baby. Um, you know, my son turned three. Hey, sir, just just staying in touch. That's that's networking. You know, we, we talk about how we stink at networking in the army, and that's a task you got to have in the civilian world. But having a mentor tree, a tree of mentors, it's just it's just it's just networking. All you got to do is send them two emails a year and stay on their radar, right? And then when something comes up where you need help or you need advice, hey, sir, man, they want to send me here. I really want to go here. You know, what do you think I should do? I can't decide. My wife wants to do this and, you know, I want to support her, right? And then you can have those decisions. So I'm really good at staying in touch. I have a lot of mentors and um, I just do that. I send them a note every, every six months. Just to stay in touch. It's good to build that relationship. It's good to build and maintain that relationship because you never know when you're gonna need that person. I mean, I have a, I have a, 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 a an old boss of mine that he were I'm still in Germany and he moved all the way to, to Hawaii and I still talk to that person to to when I when I need some help. I got another person that is still here and I still talk to that person whenever I need some advice. But it's 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 extremely important to build that relationship and I think. Us as leaders, we we, sh- we should work on maintaining that relationship because that's kind of the most important part. Because you can't like, hey, can you be my mentor? Sure. Right. And then you never talk to that person for like six years, and you're like, well, okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, what is your key to, to 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 be? What is your key to success to be the best leader that you can be every day? To me, it comes back to that relationship piece, and, and the way I like to say it is like this: you got to care about people before you challenge them. You got to care about people as an individual. You really care about them before you challenge them. We're going to ask people to do really hard things in the army, um, and before we ask them to do those things, they got to know that we care about them as a person. So that's something that that I, you know, live by, is caring about my leaders, and, uh, and, and because I'm going to ask them to do hard things in recruiting, real hard things, and uh, if I don't care about them, they're probably not going to have a super amount of drive to do what I'm asking them. Mm-hmm. It's important. I mean, everybody been in that situation where you don't, because you want to. You don't want to work for that person because you're because they're they're higher ranking than you. They tell you to do something. But you want to work for that person because right. they like you, and it's very. It's me when I first became an NCO. I, I, I find, and I still when I still figure to, try to figure this out. It's it's hard to not be liked, and it sucks to not be liked because it's it's a. Uh, it's not, that's not the wrong answer that you should work towards just being liked because you can right. be liked, but you can just suck at, at everything else. But it, it sucks to not be liked because you keep worrying about if, if whatever you make are going to make people not like you anymore. And it's, it's a hard, it's hard decision to do, but I mean, at the end of the day, you, you got to do what you got to do to get it done. And that's very that's right. cliche. And I, and I know you hate cliches, but yeah, but it's very, you know, you bring up a great point. It's, we all want to be liked. Right. But I think sometimes it's better to be loved and respected because sometimes people know that I love them, but I'm going to I'm going to put it on them and they're not going to like me for that period of time. But they know that I care about them. You know, we got to and it goes back to that uh, relationship. If I asked you who your best favorite bosses were uh, and I do this a lot, a lot when I speak. Who's your favorite boss? Who's your favorite boss? Who's the best person you ever worked for that you respected? Who's the best leader you ever worked for? Oftentimes, the reason why people think they're the best is because they don't want to let them down. That's an emotional connection. You can call it like them. You can call it love them. You can call it respect them, whatever you want to call it. It's an emotional connection. and That's why that caring about people and having a relationship is so important when we're going to ask people to do really hard things. 
I, I learned I learned um, the term tough love from from an outstanding NCO, yeah. <laughs> outstanding NCO in in my unit. He was he was never he wasn't my squad leader, but he was squad leader in my platoon and. And he he just staffs on Baswell. He he's a he's a great NCO, extremely knowledgeable. He's he's a he cares, but he's that guy that you do not want to let him down because one, he he will make you sweat, but two, you just don't want to let him down because you just he you just don't want to let him down regardless. Because I don't know, right. I don't know how to explain it here, but I'm trying to have him on the podcast. I hope he comes on here. But <clears throat> we're coming to an end, almost. I got two more questions. Um, and this question is always get, always gets my guests. They, they, they always have a hard time trying to answer this. And most of the time I have to cut it out and edit it out because they just can't figure it out. But what was, what is it? What was the toughest day in your career? If it was, I was in combat and garrison and recruiting or wh what was the toughest day in your, in your army career? I'll give you two. The first one is the easy one, man. August 31st, 2003, uh, when we lost specialist Chad Fuller and PFC Adam Thomas, uh, in, in a, uh, a gun battle with the Taliban and skin Afghanistan. And, you know, that's probably what the unit, worst. What unit was that? And what, what was your rank? Like, what yeah, was it was Charlie company 187 when I was a, when I was a company commander, they were two, uh, two guys from the recon platoon that were attached to us. And, um, we were able to come in our, our guys, my guys were able to come in and we, we killed everybody that, um, that had gotten them, but that was the worst day probably of my life. And, uh, I never want to, you know, never want to have to, to go through that again. Um, and, and losing those, losing those two heroes was probably the toughest thing, um, that I've ever been through. And that was the toughest day. Can you talk about, this, can you go a little bit more uh, in depth about what happened or, or, or no? Yeah, they were out. Um, they were in two, three man, uh, OPs, um, near the Pakistan border. And, um, they, they got ambushed people, uh, the Taliban snuck up on them and, um, and uh, and they were you know killed by direct fire, uh, Specialist Fuller and uh, and PFC Thomas, and then uh, our QRF was able to get in between the Taliban and the border. So as they tried to go back into Pakistan, um, uh, we caught them, and, and our guys uh, our guys smoked them on the spot, and and that was you know that was great retribution, but you know it was too late. They had already uh, those two guys had already expired, so. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough day and, um, you know, um, you know, rest in peace to those two, two young soldiers. Um, my second hardest time, man, has been, has been in recruiting, um, nowhere, nowhere near as close to, to 31 August, 2003, but we hit a time last year in April and May. And we were getting better and better and better. And I thought we were getting ready to like take off and our numbers just dropped and it was so humbling. And I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure as a leader. Um, and the CG, the commanding general called me and, you know, we I had to have a one-on-one -on -one with him and I felt like I let him down. I felt like I let the organization down. Um, and that was, that was tough, man. That was tough. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, you know, bouncing back from that and learn, learned a ton, but it was a humbling experience. And, and I definitely grew a lot as a leader, um, going through that time. Okay. Um, all right, well, we'll finish off the podcast. I always, I always ask this to everybody, but I started this podcast because I, I'll meet as I was struggling as, as to make decisions, I was struggling to decide if I wanted to stay in the army, if I wanted to get out, finish my my uh, my second contract, get out, and stuff like that. I was just going through a hard time, and I really wanted to to start this podcast and and create the network and create a solid base, kind of find motivation. I definitely found it, but what is one thing? And I target and I target this podcast to to people that were going through that hard time, to leaders that were are struggling to make a decision and maybe they'll listen to my guests, they can, can figure something out. But what is something that you want, you can say to, to someone that's listening right now, that's going through a hard time and they just gotta, they, they, they need to figure things out and they, they need to change things and they need to change their attitude and stuff like that. What is just one thing that you can tell someone to motivate them yeah. to keep pushing? 
take the long view. Take, take the long view. A lot of times when we're in a hard time, we collapse everything in on ourselves and we can only see that hard time. Um, and we can't see the future. So you got to remember, like, I'll, you know, I'll talk to a private and he's like, I don't like the army. It stinks. I'm like, dude, you've been in one unit, man. You've been in one unit. Right. And then they, you know, something changes. They go to another company for a different job and they're like, I love it. It's great. This is awesome. Right. So take the long view, you know, um, over time, things are going to get, are going to get better, whether it's in the army or not. Uh, the other thing I would tell you, man, is if you need help, get help. When I came back from Iraq after a 13 month deployment, I was an 04. I was a major and I went to counseling on post in uniform. I wasn't trying to hide it. Nothing. I'm like, dude, I need help. My marriage was struggling. I was struggling. And there was nobody my rank in that place. They said I was the highest ranking person they'd ever seen. But I wasn't scared to go. I wasn't scared to go and get help. And you know what? When I was a battalion commander, I was able to say to my whole battalion, hey, I went and got help. Don't tell me there's a stigma. I'm telling all 700 of you, I went and got help. I went and got counseling. I went and got therapy. And I'm a better man for it. I'm a better soldier. I'm a better leader. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. So if you need help, man, the Army has so many ways for you to get help, whether it's a chaplain, military family life consultant, behavioral health, Army One Source, get help. That's, that's what I'll leave you with. All right. Well, that's a great way to end the show, but... <clears throat> You stay there after we, we're done recording. I want we can we can chat a little bit more. But uh, world's greatest leaders, thanks for for listening. Why? Remember to follow on Instagram at WGL Podcast. Share the podcast with your friends, and just stand by for the next episode. And don't forget to go on Instagram and look up Lopez on Leadership, so you can see a little bit more of Colonel Lopez's content, his Instagram page, his YouTube channel, and it's some phenomenal stuff. Make sure you go check it out. Words with us leaders, I'll see you guys on the next episode and thanks for coming by. Everybody got opinions, let it go into my ear, then I block that. Put me on stage, I'm a rock that saying you the best. Stop that phony, I am not that. Yeah. What are y'all doing out here? What are y'all doing out here? Maybe you should spend a little less time with the women on your arms and a little bit more with your career. I ain't saying I'm the best, but I should be in the top ten. care what the top is leave me at the bottom let me work for it you ain't never gonna find another rebel in the game and tell me that he works more tell me that he works more nah. you might see me with my hoodie up i ain't leaving till i finish this industry ain't nothing but a box but i ain't gonna climb in it you put me inside a room full of rappers come back in five minutes i'm gonna be the